It's a simple game, really. It involves two teams. You divide the group, set the teams, give each of them a, a flag. Their job is to hide their flag from the other team and then go and catch, capture the flag of the opposing team. It's a great game played by many youth groups around the country. It's played in the daylight. Um, if you are caught trying to capture the opposing team's flag, then you're put in jail. But if one of your teammates finds you when you're in jail, they can release you. And, and the game can go on for hour upon hour upon hour. This is what I was counting on when as a young youth pastor nearing his first wedding anniversary, I decided to allow my youth group to play capture the flag in the midst of the Turkey Run State Park. It sounded like a great idea, except for one really novel thing that being as creative as I am, I decided we should add to it. And that is we should play it at midnight. In the dark. Oh, and to make matters even better, I would give each team one, not two, not three, not five, one flashlight. So that each team had one flashlight. I had this all worked out in my mind. This is going to be the perfect time for my wife and I to just sit and relax away from those kids. And so we turned them loose. And we went and we sat down on a bench because we'd been with these kids now for about three days and we were really tired of them. And so we, we were just like sitting there like, oh, this is good. Next week's our anniversary. We're going to get off this trip. We're gonna, and when suddenly I hear, there goes Johnny. And then a flashlight and then yelling. And then the most horrible sound I've ever heard. Bam. <laughs> then I hear, Johnny's hurt. Okay, end of conversation with wife. Run over. Johnny, what's wrong? Now look up. Johnny had hit a tree, full blast. Boom, back now. Now we didn't know anything about concussion protocols. So I looked at Johnny and said, you okay? Yeah, man, I'm fine. Good, go play, all right? And uh, as soon as Johnny gets up, I hear, Kimberly, Kimberly, bam. Kimberly found the swing set. He kind of flipped her around. She's laying on the ground. You okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Get up. Then I hear, there's Mickey, there's Mickey. And they're all running after Mickey when suddenly I hear, ah! Oh! Yeah, Mickey found the five foot drop to the concrete road off of the thing. It's at that point when I go over and I say, Mickey, are you all right? He goes, yeah, I rolled out of the way when the car came by. I'm like, okay, we're done. This game is over. I go to the church bus. I hit the horn. I blow the whistle. Everybody in. The game is over. Bad idea. And they started coming out of their hiding places. And they are covered in scratches and bruises and blood. And they would hit the lights of the bus. And with each one, I'm thinking, I'm the worst youth pastor in the world. I'm the worst youth pastor in the world. And they came limping up. And one, one young man, David, who was a defensive tackle for Anderson High School, uh, da David, David was, um, he had like cuts here, here, and here. And I looked and I said, David, what happened? He goes, fence. <laughs> I said, is the fence still standing? No. Yeah. 
Now, why in the world would I tell you a story like that on a day when we've just celebrated the baptism of four individuals? Actually, for this service, four or more in the first, so eight. I would tell you a story like that because I, I've spent the, the last several decades of my life living that story out. Oh, not with youth groups and capture the flag. I mean, I'm not stupid. I figured out one mistake. We'll just let that go, all right? But instead, I've seen it with people. I've seen people wander into this church and the other two churches I pastored. And, and when they walk in the doors, they, they look like those kids did getting on the bus. I mean, they're bruised, they're broken, they're cut, they're bleeding. Oh, maybe not, maybe not physically, but, but in their relationships or, or in their spirit or, or even in the deepest part of their soul. And, and I've, I've often remembered how running in the dark when you don't know the obstacles can lead you into places that, that quite honestly are painful and detrimental and harmful. And I thought about the fact that, that as we're looking at John's writings to the, to the church in the first century, in the, the last decade or so of the first century when he's, when he's writing this letter of 1 John and he's, and he's trying to tell them that, that Jesus is the light of the world and that what, what he saw, what he touched with his own hands, what, what he heard with his own ears, that this is true. That Jesus is the light of the world and in him there is no darkness at all and, and yet we live in the darkness and I watch us and I see us and God watches us and he sees us and, and he sees us cut and broken and wounded and hurting because of the things we've run into in the dark. And then I, I read John's words again. And John's words and our reality don't quite seem to match up. And I think, how do we turn the light on? I mean, how, how is it really? I mean, if, if Jesus is the light and the world is in darkness, then, then how are we as children of the light? That's who Paul calls us in his writings. We are followers of Jesus. We are followers of the light. How do we turn the light on so that the, the hurt and the pain and the brokenness fades away into the hope and the health and the joy of living in the light? John... John writes it this way. Listen, from 1 John chapter 2, I'll start reading at verse 7. It's an interesting passage. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you which is true in Jesus and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that they are in the light and hate their brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves their brother abides in the light and in them there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates their brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded their eyes. You know, when I read John's words, 
And I think about all the people I've seen climbing back on the bus of life, broken, cut, wounded, hurting. I, I can't help but think turning on the light may be the most important thing we ever do. And yet, it's not our light to turn on. What John says is that the light is already shining, that Jesus is the light, but that somehow, even though he is the light, and even though the darkness is fading from a cosmic perspective, in our individual lives, there are people who are still living in the dark. How do we help them? How do we turn the light on for them? How do we understand what it takes for the, for the darkness to fade and the light to grow? I, I think it has to do with that commandment he's talking about. You see... Did you hear the words? He said, I'm, I'm not writing to you a new commandment. This is the same old commandment that you've ever known. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Those are the commandments that Jesus said were the greatest commandment that summarize all the law and all the prophets, all the Ten Commandments, all the Old Testament Pentateuch, all the law, all the prophets, it's all summarized in that simple statement. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Those people in the first century could have repeated that to John. Many of you could repeat it to me. And John says, look, I'm not giving you a new commandment. I'm just telling you about the old commandment. Well, if he's telling them about an old commandment that they already know, then why is it suddenly a new commandment because Jesus is reiterating it? I would suggest to you that it is because many of us, just like them, know the words in our head. Maybe even we've memorized them in our heart. But somehow between our head and our heart and our hands and our feet, they get disconnected. And what he's saying to them and to us is that if we really want to live out the commandment, don't just... Don't just go by the words that you've already heard and the things that you think you know. Live out what you have actually heard. Because you see, light shines in darkness when we actually live out the things that we've heard. We actually speak to those who are broken. We actually reach out to those who are hurting. We actually bring the light of Christ into the darkness of our world when we when we understand that it's not enough to just know the Bible verses. It's not enough to just, to just go to church. It's not enough to just be a, a good religious person. No, no, we are called to live out the love. We are called to be the light in the midst of the darkness. Jesus put it this way, be a candle on a hill. Don't hide your light under a bushel, but instead, Live out in your living the love that you know in your heart. Look at it again. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have already heard. At the same time, it's new. It's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in Jesus and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that they live in the light and hate their brother is still in darkness. We, we live in a world filled with the hatred and with the darkness. And yet at the same time, 
there is light. And the light is beginning to shine brighter and brighter. But because the darkness has so, so permeated our perception of reality, then we miss the light. And what John is telling them and telling us is, look, in Jesus, in Jesus, there is light. And you need that light because you are broken and you are wounded just like the people in the darkness. But there's something else he tells us. It's an interesting piece. It kind of fits with something that Preston was saying to you a little earlier about what it means to live in community. He, he kind of pushes the envelope and says, you know what, it's not enough for you and me to just live in the light and, and, and let the light be in us and, and then actually live it out. No, no. In, in fact, we need to understand how our living in the light impacts the people around us. We need to understand how our living in the light either gives people, either gives people freedom or creates obstacles for them. Last week, I, I told you, there's a, there's a difference in being perfected by Christ and living as a perfectionist. You see, if you live as a perfectionist and if you think you are perfection, then you are prone to arrogance. Perfection, and those of us who think we're perfect, we are, we are always prone to arrogance. Uh, Dr. Robert Reardon, longtime president of Anderson University, president when I attended and it was Anderson College, used to tell a story about in his early days as the president in the 1950s, uh, the college had uh, a married couple housing place, about where the Kardetsky Wellness Center is now, is where it was located, and it was mobile homes, and married couples would live in these small trailers there on the campus. And most of the time, these were young couples that were preparing for ministry, and they'd come from around the country, from churches around the United States, to prepare to go out and become pastors in churches. And word came to President Reardon that there was a particular couple one year, early in his presidency, who were absolutely convinced that everybody else, professors, students, administration, they were all sinful. None of them was really following Jesus. None of them was really the light. And they had been sent here to the college as the light of Jesus Christ for everybody else. Now, for those of you in the room, and I know there are many who knew Dr. Reardon, you know that something like that would never go past his attention. And he decided he should have a conversation with these students, this couple. So he walked over to the married couple trailer park that day and knocked on the door. And as he would tell me the story, I will not try to imitate his voice because it's just too unique. But Dr. Reardon said, Carrie, I, I walked over there and, and I, I knocked on the door and the young man came to the door. And I said, uh, sir, could I come in and talk to you? He said, well, Yes, Mr. President. He was obviously taken back that the president of the university had come to visit him at his abode. And so he led him into the, into the trailer, and they sat down. And he said, uh, is your wife here? He said, well, no, she's actually got a class. And said, okay. He said, well, listen, it's come to my attention from some of the professors and other students that you and your wife believe that you are closer to God and more spiritual than any of the rest of us on this campus. And the young man looked at him unabashedly and said, yes, sir, that is our opinion. Now, at that point in the story, I just looked at him and said, really? <laughs> he said, yeah, Carrie, that's what he said. Just looked me straight in the eye and said, yep, I'm absolutely convinced. In fact, in fact you know, um, that's, that's a true statement. He said, well, can you tell me why you think 
that you guys are closer to Jesus than all the rest of us. He said, well, before I tell you that, I do need to confess something to you. He said, for the first part of the semester, my wife and I have been very, very convinced that we are more spiritual than everybody else here. He said, but lately, I've, I've been wondering about her. You see, perfectionism will always fall prey to arrogance. But the process of being perfected, what God does in us when we walk in the light, when we allow the old commandment that we know in our head, in our heart, when we know that, and it's more than just our knowledge. It is lived out in our actions, in our hands, in our feet, in the way we live our life. Then suddenly, it's not about us being perfect and falling prey to arrogance. It's about us being perfected. And that requires humility. See, perfection breeds arrogance. But being perfected breeds humility because you're constantly saying to God, Look, God, I know you're light. And I, I want to stay connected to you. And what John, is, what John is saying to the church in the first century, what John is saying to you and me, when he says, look, this is not a new commandment. You've known this commandment. But what I want you to do is I want you to live this commandment out. He said, but I want you to live it out in such a way that you actually push back the darkness so that it fades and it allows others, those around you, not to feel negated, not to feel inferior, not to feel like they can't live up to it. But instead, you walk in such a way that, that you're removing the obstacles. You're helping them not to stumble. You see, light that shines in fading darkness shows other people the way to walk and doesn't cause them to stumble. Here's the way he says it. Whoever loves their brother abides in the light, and in them there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates their brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded their eyes. You see, the, the fact of the matter is, it's not enough for you and me just to live in the light. It's not enough for you and me to just to just live our life for us and our freedom and our opportunity and, and I'm set free in Jesus and so I can do this and I can do that. No, no, no. We're, we're called to live our life connected to God and to turn the light on in the darkness in such a way that if I had been a smart youth pastor years ago, I wouldn't, first of all, have played that game in the dark. But if I had chosen to play it in the dark, before the darkness, I would have gone. And I would have marked where the tree was that Johnny ran into. And I would have made that out of bounds. I would have gone to the cliff that Mickey fell over. And I would have put a, a safety barrier up for that. I would have found where the, where the playground equipment was, and I, and I would have marked that off, and I would have said, these places are out of bounds. You don't go to these places. These places will cause you harm. These places will cause you to stumble. See, what John is telling the early church, what God's Word is telling you and me, is that when we walk in the light instead of in the darkness, 
The way we walk in the light should be such a way of love, such a way of action love, that in that action love, we don't cause someone else to stumble because of our freedom. Because we've been forgiven. We've been set free. That's not going to tempt me anymore. I don't need to worry about that. No, that's a narcissistic, immature Christianity. It's just like the young couple in the trailer park at Anderson College in the 50s. It's about me. It's about my freedom. It's about my relationship. No, you're not called to live your Christian life as light in the midst of the darkness so everybody looks at you. You're called to live your life as light in the darkness in such a way that you remove the obstacles for others. You remove the stumbling blocks. Instead of being something with your behavior or something with your freedom that someone else who's not quite as free as you are, someone else who's tempted with things you're not tempted with, they, they, can't, they can't stumble because instead of you being a perfect example, you are being perfected in humility and you, you are living in a relationship. Now, some of you are going, to preacher, that sounds great. That's like Sunday morning preacher talk. No, listen, John gets even more specific, and he actually gives us the ways to turn the light on. Now, he does it in a real interesting way in the next few verses of John, 1 John chapter 2. He actually starts like writing a poem or singing a song. Uh, your Bible it will, will actually denote it in a different way. It's not written like prose or like a letter. It's, it's actually set aside in couplets for those of you who are English majors. It, it's, set, it's set aside in a kind of a dualism. And, and it, it's an indication that this is a poetic creation or a, a song that, that the early church would sing. Listen, listen to it, and I want you to hear what he says about how you turn the light on. Because that's what's really important for us today is to understand that there is light in the darkness and we are called to walk in the light. And that when we walk in the light, we do it in such a way that, that we help others walk in the light instead of causing others to stumble. And the way that we turn it on is this. Listen, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for Christ's namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, what John's trying to say to us is that in every stage of our living, in every component of our living, there are ways in which we turn the light on for other people, ways in which we live as light in the darkness. And the first one, he talks about, I'm writing to you little children, okay? I'm writing to you because you, you have been forgiven. I'm writing to you about living as light in the darkness because you've already received the light of Jesus Christ. You see, we turn on the light of Jesus when we live our lives marked by forgiveness that is both received and given. You, you can't give forgiveness if you've not been forgiven. It's not humanly possible. I mean, you can say it, but you won't actually do it. Forgiveness means that person who has harmed you, you don't wait for them to say, oh, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? No, you forgive them beforehand. Not because they deserve it, but because you have already been forgiven 
and you don't deserve it. You see, that's what he's talking about when he says, listen, young children, I'm writing to you because, because you've already found the forgiveness. Look at the way he puts it. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. You want to turn the light on? Remember that you're forgiven and you didn't deserve it. Remember that you're being perfected and it's not because of your ability. Remember that you are the light in the midst of the darkness, not because you're so wonderful and such a gift to humanity, but because God himself is at work in you and he is alive in you. It's his light, not your light, that you're shining. Please, friend, don't ever try to shine your light. It's inefficient. It's not enough. It's like one of those silly glow sticks we get on the 4th of July. You can wave it for a long time, but eventually the light's going to fade away. But the light of Christ, the light of Christ will, will always burn bright. The light of Christ burns in those who are forgiven. It, 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 it shines in those who are already understanding that they have been forgiven so they can forgive. I know you've been wronged. I know you got on the bus filled with wounds and brokenness and scabs and pain and all of that. I know that. But here's what I want you to know. You're on the bus. You've been forgiven. And the way you turn the light on, the way the church can turn the light on for the world in the midst of the darkness is if we learn to forgive because we've been forgiven. Think about how different Congress would have been this week if somebody knew how to forgive. Think about how different your family reunion would be if somebody knew how to forgive. Think about what a difference your workplace might make in this world if somebody knew how to forgive. Not because it's the right thing to do and they said I should forgive. No but because you've been forgiven. When my boys were young, they were boys. They were all boy. And they fought with each other, like all brothers do. And there would be these moments as a dad when I would have to say to one of them, you apologize to your brother. And I would hear these words, I'm sorry. Maybe you've heard them in your house. In fact, it got to the point where we finally ended up saying, you must say what you're sorry for. Then it became, I'm sorry I hit you. And then it was, you need to forgive your brother. And that response would be like, I forgive you. Can I tell you that I felt like an utter failure as a father when that happened? Because there was really no apology and there was really no forgiveness. There was just obedience to the man who's bigger than me. Unfortunately, I've seen that in some Christian people too. There's not a real sense of forgiveness because we've been forgiven. We're forgiving because the Bible says we have to. No. If we want the light to shine in the darkness... We understand just how much Jesus has forgiven us. So that the words that John wrote to the first century become the words that he writes to us. I'm writing to you, my little children, because your sins have been forgiven. I'm writing to you, children, 
Because you know the Father. You know the Father because your sins have been forgiven. The first way we turn on the light is to give forgiveness and receive forgiveness. The second way we turn on the light is when our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is grounded and growing. Now, what do I mean by that? Grounded and growing. It's what he was talking about when he, when he said to the fathers, those who've lived longer in life, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know. Well, look, here's what he says. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. He actually just repeats it twice in this little song, in this poem. He says, I'm writing to you with life experience. And by the way, don't let the masculine nature of the text deter from the reality that it's a gender-inclusive statement. This is for all the fathers and mothers in the church. I'm writing to you because... Here's the deal. You know God. You, you understand. You've walked with him. You've been on the path. You've seen it. You understand the forgiveness. You understand the life. You understand the light. I'm writing to you so that you keep grounded and you keep growing. Your Christian faith should never, ever, ever end. I love my friend Ann Smith who, who years ago looked at me and said, Carrie, I'm going to live until I die. I said, everybody does that, Ann. She said, no, they don't. Lots of people die before they die. I'm going to live until I die. John says, look, I'm writing to you who've been in the faith. I'm writing to you who've lived it a little longer. Listen, stay grounded and stay growing. Why? Because you're connected to Jesus. So whether you're 25 and you've been a Christian since you were 5, or whether you're 45 and you just found Jesus, or whether you're 95 and you're wondering, could there be forgiveness for me and all the stuff I've done in my life? The answer is yes. The light has shone in the darkness. And the world has changed. Church, we're here to turn on the light. But there's a third way you turn the light on. In addition to forgiving because you've been forgiven, in addition to staying grounded and growing, there's, there's, this, there's this other part. See, we turn on the light, and this is a really fun part for me, by overcoming the evil one through the word of God that abides in us. Now, I, wanna, I want you to hear that for just a minute. I want you to hear what John is saying, and I want you to hear what he's not saying. You see, for John, John understands that Jesus is the Word. We know this because in the Gospel of John, he opens it by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything that was created was created through him. He spoke the world into being. Jesus is the Word of God. The person of Jesus. He is the Word of God. But it's not just the person of Jesus. How does the person of Jesus speak to us 2,000 years later? He speaks to us through the work of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. How does the Holy Spirit speak to us? He speaks to us through the Word of God that has been given to us. This isn't just a book about history. It isn't a book written merely by human hands. Yes, human hands were involved in it. Yes, the people who wrote it were not in some kind of coma and taken over. That's, that's the Quran. That's the way the Quran is supposedly given to Muhammad. But that's not the way the Bible was given to us. The Bible was given to us through the Spirit of God at work in the lives of real people like you and me, the Word of God speaking the Word of God. 
And that's what I want you to understand. When John is saying, look, I want you to abide, to overcome the evil one by the word of God that abides in you. He's saying it's not either or. It's not your mystical experience of God that abides in. No, no. It's your experience of Jesus, the word of God. And that's revealed to you in this book. So it's important that you overcome the evil one. And by the way, yes, I do believe there is an evil one. I believe there's an enemy of your soul. I believe there's somebody who wants you to live in darkness your whole life. He would love nothing more than for you to fall off the cliff in the oncoming car. He would love nothing more for you than for you to run into the tree in the midst of the darkness. He, he would love nothing more than for you to wander your entire life wondering if anybody cares about you. He is after you. Yes, that sounds like a paranoid schizophrenic. I'm just telling you, it's reality. There is somebody who is detrimental to your soul and the only way you overcome him is a relationship of grace and forgiveness and mercy that you don't deserve and by being grounded in God through Jesus Christ and having this word and Jesus abide in your heart what does that mean pastor it means that you remember on the days when you think you're all alone, that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says that Jesus will never leave you and he'll never forsake you no matter what happens. It means on those days when you're fearful about what's happening in your life that you remember the psalmist in Psalm 56 saying, when I'm afraid, I will trust in God. When it feels like you have, you have no one to be there for you, no way of knowing which, which way to go. You remember what David wrote in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul when I'm broken. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It means you remember. You remember the stories. You remember the reality. You remember Jesus on a cross singing, saying to the people, I forgive you when they were taking his life. And that just months later, Stephen, one of his followers, would look up at people who were killing him and say the same thing. I forgive you. Father, don't hold it against them. They don't know what they're doing. You want to talk about light in the midst of the darkness? That's the light in the midst of the darkness. That's why. That's why John says it quite clearly. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Today, in this place, light is shining and we are celebrating. I just pray that that's what's true in your life. And it just dawned on me that maybe, just maybe, some of you are getting on the bus today, broken, bleeding, wounded. And you just might need a little time. You might just need a little time. As we pulled away from the recreation area on that bus I was driving that night so many years ago, there was a, a lady with us who was a nurse. I was smart enough as a youth pastor to always have a nurse with me. And I can still remember looking in the rearview mirror of that bus as I drove the bus away. 
and seeing her going person by person, bandaging the wounds, finding out where the pain was, and bringing healing. This morning, Jesus is here. And through his Holy Spirit, for those of you who walked in out of the darkness, he wants to do the same for you. Maybe this would be a time for you to find healing, to find forgiveness, to find light in your darkness.